Well, Romans chapter 8 is a spectacular chapter. There are so many sermons on this. There are so many commentaries that have been written on this chapter, books even. Um, It's amazing when you think about how it begins and how it ends. This chapter alone begins with this pronouncement of Paul of no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the chapter concludes with no separation. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing is the answer. Nothing. So it's like a, a, the, the bread on a sandwich. This is good bread, and everything in between is spectacular. Let me show you some of the verses that are coming up for us. The first 17 verses uh, deal with uh, the believer who is secure and alive in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Verses 1 through 17. Then 18 to 27 the certain hope of the, of the believer. So yes, we suffer, but this suffering that we experience in this short little life compared to the, the, the eternal weight of glory that's coming, it's, it's like, it's, it's like a, a match to the sun. That's, that gives us hope in the present while we groan and wait for the return, the redemption of our bodies, the return of Christ. And Verses 28 to 39, the steadfast love of God. What a spectacular passage that is. We are going to work our way through this chapter little by little and rejoice in our Savior all the way. Today, oh, let me read this quote by, uh, who said this? Uh, Derek Thomas. This is what he said. No chapter of Scripture reaches the same sustained levels or covers the same ground as Romans 8. It is a description of the Christian life from death to to life, uh, from justification to glorification, from trial and suffering to the peace and tranquility of the new heaven and new earth. It contains exhortations to persevere as well as reassurances of God's preservation of his people, both true, both significant in our lives today, Christians. He goes on, no chapter has been cited more than this one in, the expounding, uh, in expounding the application of redemption in the life of an individual. The ordo salutis, which is Latin for the order of salvation. How is it that God saves people? Well, this, this chapter unfolds for us some of the details of what that looks like and the sequences of that. In short, Romans 8 gives us a picture of salvation in its completeness. And so Derek Thomas wrote a book. I love this book. Highly recommend it to you. It is out on the recommended reading shelf. How the Gospel Brings Us All the Way Home. All the Way Home. It's not just good news to save us, but to bring us all the way to glory. And uh, so we dive in. Verses 1 through 4, Romans 8, no condemnation. That is where we are heading today. Let's begin, though, by looking back to where we've covered so far. It's important to have this this handoff that's taking place from everything we've covered. If I were to ask you, is is it good to feel condemnation? We might say, well, Paul's saying there's no condemnation. So the answer is no, we shouldn't feel condemnation. And that's true for Christians, for those who are in Christ. But I I think we've also got to realize... When it comes to the world, the inclination of the world is to say, no, we don't want condemnation. We don't even want conviction. That's what the world says. We want to do whatever we want to do. Conviction is good. Condemnation is bad, right? That's what I said last week, but I was talking to Christians. If you are not in Christ, 
it is absolutely fitting to feel condemned under God, the righteous, wrath-outpouring judge, jury, and executioner. Look at where we've covered in Romans. Romans 1, for example, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. Remember the lamp over here that I was covering up increasingly? There's no lamp, right? I don't want God. I don't want his light. That is what we would do left to ourselves. We suppress the truth. We hate God. We hate light. We love darkness, unrighteousness, ungodliness, Romans chapter 1 ends with this verse. It's a scary reality. Though they, that is all sinners, by autopilot, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, that's ungodliness, wickedness, sin, transgression, they give approval, or in New American Standard, hearty approval to those who practice them. Is it right for someone in that situation to feel condemned? Absolutely, yes. That is good and true and just. Romans chapter 2. Because of your hard and impenitent heart. What does that mean? Well, that's what sinners have. We, by instinct, have a hard heart. Not a repentant heart. We can't even repent if we wanted to, but we don't want to, and that's why we are enslaved to the dark. We like the dark. We won't repent. Because of your impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. Now remember that. The wrath that is poured out is not just some generic wave of wrath that rolls over everybody the same. The, the wrath that, that individuals experience is measured in the cup of God's exact just retribution for sin. So when I sin, hey, the Lord's calling. That's all right. I've been there. I've been there. That's okay. When I sin, I am storing up wrath. And justice says you pay for your crimes, not for other people's crimes. You pay for your own crimes. God is the ultimate judge and executioner. He is not going to make you pay for the crimes of someone else, but you will pay for every single sin you've committed. Each one will re receive according to his works. He will render wrath for the sins that you have committed. There are degrees of punishment in hell. For all have sinned. This shows us the extent of sin around the world. There is no one who is sinless. There is no one who is outside of this wrath. There is no one who can say, I'm, I'm good to go, left to themselves. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5, one trespass, that would be Adam, led to condemnation. There's our word, exact same word that Paul uses in this text. Condemnation for all men. Because Adam died, we died. We fell in Adam. And we are born that way, and we will run that way with all our heart unless God steps in and saves. So is it wrong to feel condemnation? If you're a Christian, yes, it is. But if you're not saved, it is fitting, just, and right to feel condemned. And the sentence is death and hell. And that is a loving warning 
to all who would find themselves, even here in this hearing today, if you are not in Christ, you are condemned in your sins and you face eternal wrath. Repent. Run to Jesus. And find forgiveness in Him. There is hope. There is hope. Sinful humanity stands guilty and condemned and is currently already experiencing waves of wrath that are being uh, revealed by God, poured out, and storing up retribution and wrath that will be unfolded on the day of the Lord and throughout all of eternity. This, your Bible declares. Hmm. If you don't feel the weight of this, the weight of all of Romans 1-7, through you will never love Romans 8, verse 1. See this. I deserve all of that. And now I can say, without a shadow of a doubt, I am not condemned. By grace. Grace. The righteous sentence of God is just. The just retribution of God is exact and perfect and it is unfolding, and it will come in its fullness someday. How serious is sin? The eternal, unending fires of hell answer that question. It's that bad. When you sin against a holy, holy, holy God, you pay forever. And our sin is not just once. It's far more than we can fathom. Every day, storing up. So, for those who are not in Christ, condemnation is absolutely right to feel. It is one of the things that God lays heavy on our hearts and then turns our gaze to Christ so we cry out for a Savior. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath I have stored up. The wages I have earned. Jesus paid it all. So I run to the cross and I find a spectacular security. Look at Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's so many words in here that just, they're awesome. Look, look at these words. There is therefore, okay? Got to see this. Therefore. What's the therefore? Therefore. He's connecting everything he set up in Romans 1 through 7. Not just where we were last week, right? The battle of sanctification. But all of this that he's unfolded, now he's saying, if you're in Christ, there is therefore no condemnation. But he puts the word now in there. It reads just fine without the word now. Look, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why does he say now? What's he saying to us? I believe this is a, an already now. It's a now already. Not something that you're waiting for that is going to issue once you die in its fullness, you today, Christian, can stand and not be condemned. You are forgiven positionally, fully, totally in Christ. There is therefore now already no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I was struck by the word those. You've got to remember this. This is not just blanket provision here. This is, this is not just everybody's good. Sometimes the, the universalists think this way. God loved the world and He sent His Son and He finished the work and now everybody's good. No, that's not what Paul's saying. Those who are in Christ are not condemned. But those who are not in Christ are still condemned. They're condemned already. 
It's in John 3. Remember those verses in John 3? You're condemned. Hmm. Those who are in, in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? I like to picture myself hiding in Christ. His work by faith is my work. What he accomplished is now by faith my accomplishment. I am robed in his righteousness. Every time he obeyed, it's as if I was there with him obeying. Every time he, he overcame the temptation to sin, it's as if I was there with him saying no to sin and yes to righteousness. In Christ, it means I am trusting in him, not in me. His righteousness, not mine. His obedience, clearly not mine. I'm in him, totally, both feet, all in. Baptism shows this so well. You go all the way into the tank. You go all the way under the water. I'm completely with him. Nothing held back. Hmm. It reminds me of Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of, of your flesh. Now, how dead is dead here? How dead? Is it mostly dead, Princess Bride? No. I'm talking Lazarus dead. In the tomb. Four days. Stinketh. Dead. You're not clawing at the door trying to get out. You're not looking for a Savior. You're dead. You're lifeless, spiritually bankrupt. There is nothing in you that is saying, save me. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive together with Him in Christ. God makes us alive. Having forgiven us, note the words, some, no, all, all our trespasses, past, present, future, all our trespasses are nailed to the cross. He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. What was the record of debt? Every trespass, every offense, every time I sinned, every time I transgressed the law of God. What was the legal demand? Death. If you sin, you die. That's, by the way, that's God's order. That's, that's His establishment. See, if you sin, you die. Well, we, we've already died spiritually. Physical death is coming for all of us. We're all dying physically. The other legal demand is wrath. Justice must be paid. And wrath will be paid. So, how did He do it? He set it aside, not swept it under the rug, he set it aside over here by nailing it to His Son. He nailed it to the cross of Christ. The Father took all of the wrath that I deserve to receive from Him forever, and in those six hours, He poured it all, every drop of it, onto the Son. And I now can be forgiven. In my place, Condemned, he stood. Not me. He was the substitute. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my God, would die for me? It's spectacular. The counterattack, however, is real. Satan hates those who carry the name of Christ, and he will find ways to come at you. And one of his more successful attacks, counterattacks on your faith, 
is to load you up with the backpack of condemnation. See, I'm talking about sins confessed and set at the foot of the cross, repented of, forgiven, okay? How easy it is for ourselves to find the move over to the cross and this inclination, this haunting whisper from our past to reach down and begin to pick up these offenses and put them in our backpack like rocks. A backpack full of rocks, that's what I've got here. It's a burden, heavy. And all of a sudden we find ourselves walking through light carrying the backpack of condemnation. We're forgiven. What are we doing with this? You ever been there? This is how it sounds. Hey, remember what you did. You remember that? Remember what you said? Remember how you failed over and over and over. You remember that? How great is your sin? You call yourself a Christian? Do you not realize how horrific a person you are? You really think God can forgive you for all that? You're unforgivable. You ever heard that whisper? Hey, listen, you don't deserve to be here this morning. Look around. All these people, they're all loving Jesus. If you're honest, you're hollow as can be. You have a past. If only they knew how much of a messed up sinner you were, they would never let you come in these doors. You're not like the rest of us. You will always be defined by your past. This is who you are. It's who you are. One of the reasons I don't like psychobabble uh, psychology and the Freudian application of uh, therapeutic garbage out there in counseling is because it lives in labels. Did I use enough, you know, like, okay, odiferous, like, vomitous, okay, garbage it is. It doesn't deal with sin, it deals with labels. This is who I am. Who I am at the level of identity. I am this. Not anymore. Not if you are in Christ. You are a new creation. How easy it is to wander around with this backpack and not even know you're carrying it. And then you find yourself weighed down by your sins, by your past, haunted by these voices. Hmm. You went into that clinic. You aborted your own child. You think you can be forgiven for that? Don't you ever think you can darken the door of church after doing that? Or, I mean, fill in the blank. That failed marriage? It's on you. Those kids that hate Jesus? That's your fault. Condemnation. Oh, the weight. It's unbearable. It'll bury your heart. It'll cause you to be lifeless and joyless. What happens when we live here instead of run to the cross? Well, a lot of things. You're burdened. You become afraid of God rather than one who runs to Him for shelter and comfort. You run from Him. 
You begin to doubt your salvation. You begin to doubt the very faith that you've placed in Jesus as enough to save you. And that is exactly what Satan wants. You begin to despair that you'll ever change. This is, I guess, just who I am. You begin, some, some, some will turn this into performance. Well, you know what? <laughs> I've got such a terrible past. I just have to dig my way out. I have to claw my way back and perform to be accepted. Really? I have to atone. I just need to go be miserable for Jesus somehow because I've sinned so horribly. I, just need, I need to be miserable for Jesus. Or, you feel the weight so much when you try to fight it in Romans 7 that you say, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to give up. I'm going to throw in the towel. I'm sick of it. I'm never going to change. I'm, I give up fighting. You come in, become inward, not outward. You know one of the marks of maturing in the Christian life is increasingly being outward. Being focused on the other rather than focused on self. Oh, if you live in condemnation, it's all about you. Increasingly so. Defeated, joyless, prayerless, uninvolved, increasingly isolated. How can I get involved in church if, if I'm, carrying this, I'm carrying all this weight around? How am I supposed to serve? How am I supposed to lead? How could I ever be on this stage in front of all of you? I've got all this past. It disqualifies me completely. I have no business opening my mouth or even coming to church, right? Isn't that what condemnation says? Why make yourself miserable and sit under preaching that you're just going to be more convicted about? Go find someone to tickle your ears and tell you how great you are. Maybe you can build up a false front and, and have an illusion while you drag this weight around. Psalm 103, 11 and 12. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward us for those who fear Him. Look at what He's done. As far as east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. How far is east from the west? Have you ever figured that out? If He said the poles, we'd have an identifiable mark. Try going east to west. That's how far. That's how far. You notice the book? It's blank. All the record of my sins and offenses, all that, that weight, and that, it's blank. I look to read all of my offenses and it, the, the pages are white as snow. All the videotapes that I would seek to replay of all my failures, all my offenses and sins, it's static, forgiven. In its place is the righteousness of Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in, this, this mortal flesh, right, with indwelling sin, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. What does it look like to answer the whisper of condemnation with the Gospel? Well, here's some things. Man, those rocks are heavy. Oh, Remember what you did? I remember. Right? The Gospel never downplays your sin. You were never called to make it less offensive than it was. But you can call it out for what it was. I remember. I totally remember what I said. How I failed. 
over and over and over. I remember it exactly. And I rejoice in Jesus Christ who paid for every single sin. You really think God forgive you, could forgive you for all that? I know He has. Not He can. I know He has. I am already forgiven. You're a terrible person. Well, you're right. I am a sinner. And I'm saved by grace. I'm not a good person in and of myself. That's the whole point. That's how I qualified for this salvation. I didn't qualify because of my goodness. I qualified out of my sin. My sin is great and my Savior is greater. You see where we run? Every single accusation. Drive it to the Gospel. Run it to the cross. You're unforgivable. Wrong! I have a Savior who has the power to forgive sins and He has pronounced me forgiven. You don't deserve to be here. Absolutely right. (laughs) Neither do any of us. I don't deserve to be on this stage. None of us deserve to be here singing of the joys of our salvation. That's what grace is, friends. That's what grace is. You see how we can turn it? Turn it around and rejoice in it. You're not like these other Christians. Well, yes and no. I am like them in the sense that I am a sinner saved by grace. We're in this together. We all take of the same table. We have one Savior. But we're members of one body who have different gifts and, and different functions. So I'm different in that way. We're not all the same. And that's by design. And that's to the glory of God. You'll always be defined by your past. No? Wrong. Wrong. I will be defined by my Savior who changed me. I am not who I was. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. And this is really who I am in Christ. Absolutely right. This is who I am. I am not defined by sin. I am defined by the righteousness of Christ. Gospel answers to the sneaky, stealthy, subtle voices that would haunt every sinner. Leave it with Jesus. Put down that backpack. Don't carry that around. You're free, Christian. You're forgiven. Don't drag around the sins of your past. What are you thinking of right now? Things you've done. Things you've said. Sins you've committed. Failures. The wreckage. Maybe people come to mind. Listen, Christian. Confess that. Run it to the cross and leave it there. And experience forgiveness. You have a Father in heaven no longer a judge. You have a Father who loves you. This love is overwhelming. He has loved you eternally so. When He elected you in eternity past, He set His covenant love upon you all the way back there. And He has loved you to life. And He will love you to glory. And He will love you forever. He is not a judge. Which means you can expect from Him loving discipline, but not anger and wrath. He doesn't grow weary of you. Don't ever stop praying because you think God is tired of you coming. Oh, that's our weakness put on God. That, God is never tired of you coming to Him and saying, help me. I need you. Every hour, I need you. He delights to help His kids. 
What's it like to be disciplined by God when you don't have condemnation to face? Well, this is what it's like. Some of you have partaken of the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner, which means you've grown sick. And some of you I have literally killed, he says. Now, for those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation. Even there, the discipline of God, which, by the way, can be a very stern rod of discipline. How do we understand that? Love. Love. God loves you so much, if you disrespect his table, he might just take your life. God loves you so much that if you run head, headlong into sin, he is going to steer you back away from it. Now, it may be that some in the church were wearing a label that didn't fit their life and so they were disrespecting the, the table of the Lord and God killed them in condemnation and they answered for sins and wrath they tasted of. It's one of the reasons why we disciplined our kids. We spanked our children. Because I saw in the Scriptures a consistent flow between a loving parent who loved enough to intervene when uh, defiance against established uh, calls for obedience was being committed. It was done in love for the good of our children. Not lack of self-control, just off a whim, hitting. That's abuse. No, I'm talking about this is what we said, son. And this is what you did. Knowing this, you willfully defied what we said not to do. Therefore, there's a consequence. It's for his good. See what we're doing? We're, we're shaping the hearts of our children to understand how discipline can be loving. Parents, do that. Don't shy away from discipline and call it love. Bear the rod and spoil the child. Listen, God loves His children and He disciplines those He loves. He disciplines you and me out of love. So, remember that. When you go through the discipline of God, don't let your head droop down, it says in Hebrews. Lift up your heads. He's loving you. He's loving you. He's not pouring wrath on your head. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a spectacular verse this is. So many things flow out of this. Let's go to verse 2. A supernatural resident. Verse 2. Supernatural resident. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So now all of a sudden we have in view the, the, the change and it really it's like a, a new power is on display. We have a new resident, okay? I'll tell you a story about what we did in 2010. We, uh, we found a house in Ferndale that nobody wanted. Um, it was rough. Uh, some of you were in it when we bought it. It was in bad shape. Um, this is what it looked like on the outside. It had been on the market for closure six months plus. Uh, realtor cards stacked on the, on the table. People walk in the front door, Bam! The smell would hit them. Out they go. They're, I mean, they didn't get past the hallway. We walked in, and we were like, it's perfect! Yes! This is exactly what we've been looking for. We needed a fixer-upper. I remember walking our kids through the house when we finally got the, uh, the, the green light on the, 
the purchase. Uh, here they are, Ethan and Grace. And uh, you get a little glimpse of this. Just look at look, what in the world was going on in this house. Did they never wash their hands? Look at the banister here, the dirt and grime. And then someone started painting and was like, eh, forget it. You know, um, I won't even go through all the rooms, but there, there was hoarding happening. There were someone who had a self-control issue because holes punched in doors and walls. And back here, just kind of point this out, there was this weird styrofoam head right up here in this window. And the neighbors were like, what is going on with the styrofoam head? I don't know. Um, the kitchen was a wreck. Uh, you know, they had lived roughly in this house. Look at the carpets. I mean, it was, it was bad. It needed renovation. And so we bought the house. And I was just thinking about how the Holy Spirit works. No one wanted that house. That was my life. It was a mess. It was a wreck. No one would have said, well, that's a good place to move into. But God did. That's right where He met us, right? He doesn't wait for us to do all the remodels and then say, oh, I'll take the nice home. He finds the fixer-upper and then He moves in. In Christ, He sends His Spirit. And there's a new resident there. And little by little, the neighbors begin to say, as we begin to fix it up over five years, you know, like the first thing I did was get the styrofoam head down and, and put that away. And the neighbors were like, oh, thank you. And then we painted and we, we put all new floors. We did all our stuff. And there was evidence of new residents. It was clear. There's a new owner in that house. That's our lives, believers. You have the Spirit who lives in you, He dwells there. Right here in your life today, He's with you. And the transformation is underway. The Spirit of life or the life-giving Spirit is dwelling in you and He has set you free from the law of sin and death. When you would read the Scriptures before, you would rebel and hate it. Not because the Scriptures were wrong, because your heart was wrong. Now you got a new heart. Now you have an inclination to the Word of God and you love the Word of God. You delight in His testimonies. You want to obey. Increasingly so. Little by little, that house is getting fixed up. We have here a Trinitarian salvation. Consider this. We have a Trinitarian salvation. All three members of the Godhead are at work in saving sinners and bringing them into sainthood and glory. The Father from eternity past chooses all whom He will save. That's the election work. We're going to look at that in Romans 9-11. through 11. He elects all whom He will save and He assigns them a destiny of holiness and eternal life. And then He sends His Son to go and purchase them with His blood. And the Son takes the assignment and He goes. And He lays His life down. No sin to sacrifice for of His own. He sacrifices Himself to take the sin of all who would trust in Him on Himself and paid in full. And then He dies. And then He raises from the, from the dead and sends out the Gospel to the ends of the earth. That's the church. That's, that's what we're doing today. And think then of the role of the Holy Spirit. We, we often don't see all the things the Holy Spirit is doing. Right now, even in this room, the Holy Spirit is at work. Look at this list. It is the Holy Spirit who makes us live, right? Long my imprisoned spirit lay, we just sang. 
fast bound in sin. I'm a, I'm a slave of sin, blinded in nature's night, fast bound in sin in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. Who was that? That was the Holy Spirit. He sparks life in us, gives us new heart. I woke. I woke. How does a dead man do that? Not on his own. I woke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. Who did that? Not me. God did. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I have a new heart. What did I do? I rose. I went forth. And I followed thee. That's the story of your salvation, Christian. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Applying the gospel in power. He is the seal and the confirmation of our salvation. He is the presence that carries with us the fulfillment of Jesus' uh, command in, in the Great Commission. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. How? Through His Spirit. In you today. That is fulfilling that promise. He is the illumination that opens our eyes to read words of God. The inspired, authoritative Word of God comes to life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Every time you open your Bible, remember who wrote that book. The Holy Spirit who lives in you wrote that book. He loves that book. If you want to hear from God, you've got the words of God to lay open before your eyes. The conviction. Oh, what a gift this is. Sometimes we forget this. Conviction is good, as I said last week. That's one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit. Not condemnation, not, not condemnation, but conviction for sin. To call us to confess it and run it to the cross. Divine power to obey the law, whereas we had weakness before, now we have power. Divine gifts to be used in the church to edify and build up the saints. And divine intercession, we're going to see these in the coming verses. It is the Spirit who groans with us, with groanings and intercessions too deep for words, and, and, and comforts us when we're down, when we're discouraged, when we're weak and needy, frail. All of this and more the Holy Spirit does. It is a Trinitarian salvation we celebrate. Now, verse 3, a superior accomplishment. A superior accomplishment. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. He did this by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. I love this, this line here. God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. Is the inadequacy with the law? Was the law weak? That's not what he says. We were weak. We were unable to do anything with the law except for rebel. That is what the nature of our sinful, fallen condition is. We hear the good news of the gospel. We hate it. We rebel. We suppress it. We don't want that. That's what we do over here. God did what we couldn't do in our weakness. He sent His Son to die in the flesh, incarnate. The incarnation, that's what that word means. In the flesh. So you have a perfectly brand new car and you take it to a mud hole. You drive that car through the mud for 10 hours straight. You now have a mud-covered brand new car. Okay, think of this. The incarnation is like this. The sun 
perfect in His divinity, eternally existing. He is sent to take upon Himself human flesh. He is born of a virgin. And, and in that, He takes upon, He adds to His divinity humanity. No adjustment in His divinity necessary. Just the adding of humanity. The God-man, Christ Jesus. He sent His Son for sin to be condemned in our place. It shows our inability. It shows the immense love of God for people who didn't deserve it. I was struck by the word own. He sent His own Son. His own Son. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send another representative. He sent His own Son. What a price. It is the triumph of Jesus that is our triumph by faith. When we trust in Jesus Christ, we receive all of His obedience as our obedience. Every time He obeyed becomes mine. Every time I disobeyed is transferred to Him and paid in full on the cross. What an amazing reality. Now, number four, as always, Salvation points us to the walk of holiness, to obedience. Look at how it lands here. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now this contrast of walking according to the flesh or walking according to the Spirit, that's coming up in the, in the next few weeks. We're going to look at how significant that contrast is. How is it that the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us? Now that, now that we're saved. The answer is this. The robe of righteousness that we wear is not our own. It is not our own. It is the righteousness of Christ. And as we walk in this world, we walk positionally righteous and progressively so. Right? It's a walk. We walk according to the Spirit now. Hmm. We can fulfill the law through faith in the law-fulfilling Savior. It's amazing what union with Christ brings. So our response this morning, Christian, there's so many things that meet us in very practical ways here in these verses. The question must be asked at the very beginning, are you in Christ? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Have you turned from your own way? from the rebel way that is so instinctual to us as sinners? Have you turned from that that suppression of the truth to that embrace of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? If not, do so today. Run to Him. No one who runs to the Son will fail to be saved. He's calling. The way is open. Come. Come, sinners. Be saved today. Secondly, believers, what confessed and forgiven sins are in your backpack of condemnation? Everybody's backpack is going to look a little different. Everyone's rocks in that backpack, they might be a little different. But we all have this inclination at times to reach back with the haunting nature of our past and put a few more rocks in that backpack and then lug it around with us through the Christian life. What sins come to mind? Don't say them out loud. 
you know. You know you, right? You know you. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Jesus paid it all. Don't carry that backpack. Put those rocks where they belong. If you feel conviction, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. God is at work refining you, convicting you of sin. There's a place to go with that. Run it to the cross and lay it down there. Leave those sins with Jesus. Leave it there. And be free. Be free. As you are, be free. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we delight in the finished work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank You for this mind-blowing reality that there is therefore now already no, uh, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We delight in this, Lord, and we are encouraged by this even as we fight this fight of Romans 7. We draw strength from Romans 8.1. Thank You that You have seen fit to supply all that is necessary for our forgiveness and that Christ has accomplished that. Lord, thank You for taking upon Yourself, Jesus, all of my sins and paying it in full. Holy Spirit, we delight in Your work. It is manifold. It is spectacular. A work that is so often behind the scenes and glorious, drawing us to Jesus Christ. We glory in Your ministry and we, as You desire us, we delight in our Savior Jesus all the more. Father, I pray for any who would be here who have yet to turn from their sins and trust Jesus. Stir in their hearts even now a desire to repent and trust. Place in them the very faith that they need to choose Christ as Savior and Lord. Accomplish what we cannot, O God, and save. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.